In 2022, there was a Little League World Series qualifying game. Okay, it's a regional game. It's first Texas and Oklahoma, so of course Texas is the favorite. And um, this game will determine if these little 12-year-old boys get to go and play in the most competitive tournament for any 12-year-old athlete in any sport, the Little League World Series. Okay. It is a high-stakes, high-pressure game. And Oklahoma's up to bat. A little boy named Isaiah Jarvis, 12-year-old boy, a little guy, is up to bat. And on the mound is a much bigger boy. His name's Caden Shelton. And Caden Shelton can throw heat. He throws it hard. Okay. And he lets go of a fastball. And this fastball gets away from him. And it hits little Isaiah Jarvis just above the ear right here. He grabs his face and he crumples to the ground. And at first, he's not moving at all. The stands instantly go silent. Coaches rush to the batter's box. Umpire rushes in. His fellow teammates rush up towards him. Just absolute silence. Okay, let me pause here. Time out. It's really important to think about the context in which this is happening. You've got high stakes, high pressure baseball, like I just said, youth athletics, where parents are crazy. Crazy. Some of you can come up and confess afterwards. And um, where they're putting intense pressure on these boys, believing that through this pressure, that they will turn these boys into tough men. Okay. The other context is that this game is happening just on the heels of COVID-19. And many of these boys are what we call COVID kids, who for the last two years, their whole lives have been interrupted by this virus at the point when they're developing probably more than any other stage in their life. And so the pitcher on the pitcher's mound, Caden Shelton, his mom is an educator. She has noticed what basically nobody else has because he's been so distant from school and others is that her son is developing deep, almost crippling anxiety. And she's seen this in her son, the pitcher. Back into the game. Isaiah Jarvis is on the ground. Suddenly he starts to move. He gets up. He puts his helmet on. And what does everybody do? They cheer. He's heading to first base. Why are they cheering? Because he's so tough. They're cheering his toughness. But then what nobody else notices or else nobody else cares about, on his own team, none of the coaches in his dugout, none of the parents, is that that pitcher, the whole time little Isaiah Jarvis is on the ground in the batter's box, the whole time that pitcher is behind the pitcher's mound, pacing back and forth, his face buried in his glove, his shoulders heaving because he's crying. He's crying. Nobody goes to him. Nobody. Except little Isaiah Jarvis, who's just run to first base, sees this pitcher on the other team crying. And he waves to the umpire for timeout. He takes his helmet off, and he walks up to him slowly. He comes up to him, and he gives him a hug. And he says, hey, I'm okay. You're okay. Just keep throwing strikes. It was on video, of course, and so it goes viral instantly. ESPN called it the hug heard around the world. And it surprised us. It captivated us. Why? I think it's because it was unexpected. Specifically, gentleness. 
in a world that values toughness was unexpected. The one boy, the one person, coaches included, on the field who recognized what this boy actually needed on the other team and gives it to him, gentleness. You want to know the interesting thing? So many people celebrated little Isaiah Jarvis, just as many people excoriated him, said that he was weak, that he didn't have the competitive edge necessary to win. You want to know something interesting? His team, Oklahoma, lost. The team with the gentle boy lost the game. I was preparing for this sermon. I was doing some research. I came across a sermon by a guy named Sinclair Ferguson, well-known preacher, and his sermon was titled, Is Gentleness for Losers? Is Gentleness for Losers? I want you to come with me to the book of Acts. We're going to be in the book of Acts chapter 14. This was a passage we looked at earlier in this series, but we looked at it in a different way. I want to show you something because it talks about shepherds here and something that I think is so important for us to see. Let me set the stage. Acts chapter 14, verses 19, 20, and 21. Paul is stoned nearly to death, which is as bad as it sounds. An angry group of people surround him with big old rocks, and they throw them at him until he seems to be dead. But he gets up, and he goes about preaching. It's amazing. Paul's amazing. He gets up after being nearly stoned to death, and he starts preaching the gospel. And look at verse 22. This is the substance of what he's preaching. This is the message. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. Verse 22. Look at verse 23 now. Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church, and with prayer and fasting committed them to the Lord in whom they had put their trust. So here's what I can't get over, and I shared this with our shepherds a few months ago. When I look at this passage, here's what I can't shake. It's the order of what happens. There's the experience of suffering, number one. The reflection on suffering instantly, number two. And number three, just as quickly, the appointment of elders. You see that? Look at that. Look at it again. It's one sentence after another. The experience of suffering, the reflection on suffering, and instantly the need in these churches who are going to experience suffering and try to understand suffering, what need to appoint shepherds there. I sent this to our shepherds in an email, and I said, look at this. It's because we suffer, because we suffer that we need shepherds, isn't it? That's it. Because we suffer, we need shepherds. Now, are there other reasons we need shepherds? Yes, and I'm going to talk about some of those other reasons next week. But I think this is the most important and significant reason why God ordains that his body, the body of Christ, would be led by shepherds. And that's because we must suffer. We do. A few years ago, our elders actually reorganized here at Highland reorganized so that they could do less of some things, like meetings, for example, and more shepherding with people. And I'll tell you something I've discovered in my own life, because we did a reorganization with our staff too. Buster takes more of the admin stuff so that I could be more available for shepherding myself. What I've discovered is when you make space for, for needs, for sinners and sufferers, you know what God does? He fills the space. 
And that's what our elders are experiencing. They have carved out additional space because they believe their primary calling is to shepherd those who are sinful and in that sin, suffering, who are sick and suffering, who are hurt or traumatized and suffering. And they've created more space to do that. And what they have discovered is that God is filling that space and we need more shepherds to take care of the needs here. But then the question is, and this is the one I really want you thinking about over the next few weeks. Who are the kind of men who can actually shepherd somebody who's suffering? Who's the kind of man who can do that? How many of you read, maybe in high school English class, Of Mice and Men? Anybody read that book? Of Mice and Men is about these two guys, George and Lenny. Uh, George is little. He's the brains of the operation. Lenny's this big old boy. He's strong, just so strong. And George relies on Lenny's strength throughout the whole book. I mean, his strength is his great asset, his great value. The problem is with Lenny, he can't control his strength. And so there's this scene when he's petting this mouse and he doesn't realize how strong he is and he kills the mouse. And then he does the same with the puppy. And then he does the same with someone else. I won't share that because I had a gasp down here when I said, with a puppy. <laughs> right. Okay. It's not that he needs to be weaker. It's that he needs to control the strength. What does he lack? Gentleness. Strength under control. Right. That's what gentleness is. Strength under control, not weakness. To think about this, let me show you Jesus for a second. Let's, I want to I always go to Jesus, our chief shepherd. Let me, let me show you what Jesus sees. When he sees people who are hurting, there's a feeling that rises up in Jesus and a desire that he has in that moment, something he knows to be true, knows that is needed. Look at this. When he saw the crowds, this is Jesus, he had compassion on them. That's the feeling because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. That's the desire he has. What he knows in this moment is that people who are suffering, what do they need? A shepherd. They need a shepherd. But look what rises up in him, the spirit. It doesn't, he's not mad at him. He's not full of angst or anger. Or retribution, I told you so. That's not the spirit that rises up in him. What's the spirit? Compassion. Compassion. Why is that? There's one place in scripture where Jesus cracks open his heart to us. And in, in the Bible, the heart is the center of all that we are. Everything that we are comes from the heart in scripture. And there's only one place, Matthew 11, where Jesus kind of pulls back the curtain. And he says, you want to know what I'm about? It's right here, Matthew 11. This is what he says about his heart. Come to me. All you who are weary and burdened, think suffering, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. I'm gentle in here, he says. And you'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Who's Jesus? He is gentleness. And nobody's going to look at Jesus and accuse him of being weak, are they? 
But what you recognize in Jesus is that the reason you want to come to him when you're suffering is because of his strength, but not only his strength, because you know that he will apply it to you gently in a way you can receive it. I mean, this is, I just want to pause here and just want to, I just want to say out loud how good this news is. I was meeting with a woman not long ago. She's a grandmother now, and she's carrying with her a burden she has carried since she was a young woman. We're talking about decades ago, something she has carried with her. And behind it, I think, is the fear that if she were to actually bring this thing to Jesus, he would be harsh with her about that. I mean, what a joy, what a joy to sit with her and say, no, sister, take this to him. And I promise you, he will be so gentle with you. He won't turn you away. He won't make you feel guilty for this. He just wants to heal you and receive you in gentleness. That's who he is. Okay, so that's our chief shepherd. Think about that. Now we want to think about what does this mean for the under shepherd, the shepherd on earth of God's people right here. Well, look at this. This is what I want to draw your attention to. And this is noted here in this handout. Again, I want you all to pick those up on your way out. But look what Paul says about what our shepherds need. Look at this. Now the overseer is to be not violent, but gentle. Not violent, but gentle. Now, there's other things on these lists that we would expect of somebody who's leading honesty, somebody who's respected, somebody who's faithful, sober. Those are some of the things that are on there. But I'll tell you, I think this is one that we do not expect when it comes to somebody who's in leadership. I mean, I mentioned college football earlier. How many of you, for your team, want a coach that's really gentle? And known for his gentleness with those boys. How many of you want that? You don't want that. How many of you vote for the politician who runs on the campaign? I'm going to be soft on crime. Or let's be, we need to really work on a good friendship with North Korea. Like you wouldn't vote for that person. And it's because deep inside, we doubt that gentleness is strength, don't we? We doubt it. I just finished what most consider the greatest science fiction book of all time, Dune. Maybe you've read this before. My dad's been trying to get me to read it for years. What I'm fascinated about in Dune, and I think it's such a reflection on what we truly believe, is that it's about a boy who is gentle, who spares the life of somebody who harms him, spares his life. But it's about what it takes for that boy to become king and what you see in the story is that this boy who starts gentle, by the end, by the time he is king, he is cruel and ruthless. And it's like he's saying, the author's saying, that to be a leader in this world, you have got to let go of gentleness and become harsh. You've just got to do it. You can't lead otherwise. Why? Because we think gentleness is weakness. That's what we think. Let me show you, though. Let me take you back to the chief shepherd. Look what the Lord says. Look, look in Isaiah 40. It's Isaiah talking about the Lord through Isaiah. Look what he says. See, the sovereign Lord comes with what? With power. And he rules with a mighty arm. 
See, his reward is with him and his recompense accompanies him. That means there are consequences when the Lord shows up. But look at this. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and he carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those who have young. Look at that. Like, nobody's going to accuse the creator of the world of being weak. No one is going to accuse the sustainer of all things who holds all things together of being weak. What do we know about him? He's full of power, and yet he gives us that power. How? Gently. He controls it. He doesn't overwhelm us with that power. Remember that scene of Elijah we talked about a few weeks ago when Elijah's in the cave? He's had a really hard time. He's running. He's scared. God doesn't come to him in a fire or an earthquake. How does he come to him? In a gentle whisper. Remember that? A whisper. He comes to him. Is God weak? No, God controls his strength so that we can receive him and receive his help in a way that actually does help us and bless us. So I was with a brother a few weeks ago, and he told me a story. He said a couple months back, he was really struggling. He was making a mess of his life, making a mess at work, making a mess at home with his family. He said something, actually a line I'll never forget. I wrote it down. He said, Eric, one of the things I've discovered is that our secrets make us sick. Our secrets make us sick, and I had a bunch of them. He says, I didn't know who to talk to about that. And so I called one of the shepherds here. Actually, Ron Wade was the shepherd. And he says, you know, I didn't really know why I called Ron Wade, except that I just had this sense that I could tell him my secrets and it would be okay. And I didn't want him to baby me in those secrets. I didn't want him to tell me, oh, that's no big deal. Don't worry about that. In fact, he convicted me about the things I shared, but I knew I could trust him with those things and that he would receive me and guide me in a way that actually helped me. What's he talking about? Gentleness. Gentleness. To say that we're looking for gentle men, gentlemen, as shepherds, is not to say we're looking for weaklings or to say we're looking for nothing. It's to say we are looking for great strength under control. Do you see the difference? Let me give you a metaphor. Uh, we've been needing rain here in Memphis for the last couple of weeks. Finally got some this week. And so, you know, our yard, the little bit of yard that we have was getting crispy and our plants were droopy. Maybe it's happening in your, your yard too. And so we're praying for rain, also running the hose every once in a while. Uh, but we're praying for rain. The thing is, when you pray for rain, what you're actually praying for is a gentle rain. You know where I'm going. The problem in Memphis is when we get rain, it floods. It knocks trees down on our houses. Some of our Highlanders are dealing with power outages across the city. MLGW, get it together, right? It causes diesel in our water. You know what I'm talking about? It's like you're praying for this thing because the land needs it. You desperately need it. And when it comes, it comes too hard nearly every time. You know what I'm talking about? Okay, so what are we trying to say here? The land needs water, but it needs it in a way it can drink it. Right? It needs the strength and the sustenance that that storm provides, but it doesn't need to be washed away in it. What are we praying for? We're praying for a gentle 
rain, gentle rain. A couple years ago, one of my mentors told me this. I mean, this has been probably 15 years ago now. Uh, he was describing ministry to me and um, maybe the kind of person that as a young minister I would aspire to be. But he, he, he gave me an image that I have never been able to shake since then. And it always comes up to me around the time I think about shepherds. In fact, I shared this story four years ago. He said, Eric, at my worst moment, my worst moment, I was crumpled up on a bathroom floor, sobbing my eyes out, unable to even get up. I was so sad. I'd made a wreck of my life. I didn't know who to turn to. I was so sad. And he said, Eric, sometime, somehow I find that when people are at their worst, they tend to make their way to the bathroom floor, crying. And he said, okay, I want you to do something for me. I want you to think about if you were in that moment, if you were crumpled up on the floor of the bathroom, sobbing your eyes out, made a mess of everything in your life, he said, who would you want to walk through the door? Who would you want to knock on that bathroom door, crack it open, and come sit by you? And I want you to do that right now. Just think about it. Who would you want to see walking through the door? And my hunch is, it's not a weak person you'd want to see. It's a gentle person. It's a person that when you saw their face, you would just know they have what I need to feel better, to get better. Then in this moment of my weakness, I can lean on their strength and they're not gonna overwhelm me with that strength. They're not gonna pummel me with that strength. They're not gonna tell me I told you so. They're gonna receive me and build me up with that strength and gentleness. Who's that person that you see? Okay, probably that person would be a good shepherd here. Probably so. Here's what I want you to think about and pray about this week. And next week we're going to look at another really important dimension of shepherds. Who are the gentle men here? Who are those men? Who are the men you would trust with your secrets? Who are those men that if you were suffering, you would want them to walk through the door because they would be gentle with you. I'll finish with this. This is a passage from Paul to a young man talking about what it takes to be a man of God. And I read this over my boys on many mornings when we do our morning devotional time. And let me just, let me end with this. Look what he says. But you, man of God, Flee from all this, and it's all kinds of bad stuff. Flee from all this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. And every time I read that to them, I think of that last word. And I think that they are growing up in a world that tells boys to be anything but gentle. That to be gentle is to be weak. Right? But a man of God is not like men of this world. And here, we're looking for men of God. And I hope that you'll help us to find them. Let me pray over us as we finish. God, I'm so thankful for Jesus, our chief shepherd. I am so thankful he treats us gently. 
I'm so thankful, God, that some of us who come with burdens this morning, that he receives those, that he desires to take them from us today and give us rest with his strength. I'm thankful, God, for his body, which is the church, and for the shepherds you have placed here to serve this body. Would you help us, God, to raise up more? I pray, God, that we would go from here in the rest we have in your gentle Savior. And I pray this in his mighty name, in the name of Jesus. Amen.